yo, yo. Welcome, everybody, to the Back of the Bus podcast. I'm Black, he's half, and he's not here. Half's uh, caught up doing some crazy shit with work, but this was too big a... Too big and too controversial an episode of GOT for us to skip out. Obviously, it's the last season, so we don't want to miss any episodes. If you come here to the podcast to listen to Half's dulcet tones, I'm sorry you're stuck with me. I've been tossing around trying to do a solo pod, you know, for a while now. When we had that long hiatus, I kicked it around a few times because I know we've been off for a while and I didn't, I didn't want to lose the 11 people who still listen or whatever. But, you know, it's just tricky, man. It's kind of weird to just sit here and talk to myself into the microphone. So I'm going to give it a shot. Let me know what you guys think after this episode. If you fucking hate it, let me know. If you love it, let me know. If you could care less, let me know. Before we begin, we're going to go with uh, our listener of the week. This week's winner, winner, chicken dinner. Are the good folks at Fiber Miami. I don't know if they actually listen to the show, but they do follow the Instagram page. Uh, so thank you for that. They are a local business here in Miami, so we got mad love for them too. You can check them out at fiber underscore Miami or at fpsportswear.com or you can go in person. Their store is located at 175 Fountain Blue Boulevard. They sell sporting goods. Looks like mainly for the ladies. So like workout clothes, uh, things like that. They do have a lot of hot girls on their Instagram page, so check it out even if you just want to look at some hot girls, but Thank you guys for following and hope you guys listen and hope you guys like the show. Appreciate it. This is your first time with us. Welcome to the show. If you are a frequent writer on our ugly yellow cheese wagon, thank you for tuning in again. This is episode three of season meh, like half likes to call it. Normally this show, we talk about anything that's on our minds. Could be sports, politics, pop culture, movies, TV, whatever the case may be, parenting, shit like that. But right now, we are currently focused on one thing and one thing only, which is Game of Thrones. This is how the podcast started. We are huge Game of Thrones fans, and we decided to just talk about it in front of open mics one day, and then it kind of just developed from there. So this is this episode is 100% Game of Thrones-centric, with the exception of this little tidbit I'm going to hit you with right now. Avengers Endgame was fucking awesome. And if you want to argue that with me, I hate you 3,000. At me all you want. Okay, maybe I don't hate you, but you're still wrong. It was awesome. Okay. One more thing before we get into the nitty-gritty of the episode. So Monday morning, I posted some videos on the Instagram page on the, on whatever, on the Instagram page. uh, With my reactions to the episode. And Half and I have discussed it, and we're pretty much on the same page on most fronts. We both love the episode. Did it have its problems? Yes, it did. And we're going to talk about that. We'll get into kind of just some of the things that I wasn't too crazy about. But as a cinematic achievement, as a viewing experience, uh, it was an incredible 82 minutes of television. The emotions that you experience watching this episode, up and down, the ride that it took you on, you can scrutinize it to death all you want afterwards. But in the moment, I defy anybody to tell me that they weren't just captivated 100% by what they were watching. There was the issue with the darkness on the episode, and uh, that did kind of annoy me, and I mentioned that in that video. Half didn't mind it so much. He thought it kind of lent to the atmosphere and like the experience of not knowing what the hell was going on and the realism of having been in that battle. I would love to think that HBO did that shit on purpose for that reason. I fucking highly doubt it. I think that I read an article from someone saying that there was just a problem with the bandwidth or with how they recorded it. He was not an HBO representative. HBO said there was nothing wrong in a statement that they put out. But this dude came out, you know, he's some whatever. He was an expert of some sort. I can't quote it because I don't remember. But he came out and he said that he it was either a problem with the bandwidth of how they were streaming the episode or it was just an issue with how they recorded it. That's as far as the visual element of the of the show. I'm not going to mention it anymore. It was what it was. If you watched it the next day, it was a little better. I realized if you watch it on a smaller screen, it was better still. I watched it on my laptop instead of my 65-inch Samsung, and it, it did look a little better. So, yeah, now we're that's it. That's my whole thing on the on the darkness of the show. I can understand some of the beef that people had. With some of the plot elements and the storytelling of the show. I've seen this whole thing about how the critics are shitting on it because they did too much fan service. 
I don't have a fucking clue what they mean by that. Isn't every episode of every show at some point fan service because you make it for the fans? Maybe? I don't know. You know, we'll talk about some of like the plot shit that 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 bothered me. But I do, I really cannot understand the level of hate that the episode is getting. Like people are shitting on it. And it's like, what are you talking about? You know, in the again, in the moment, I was here with my wife, my sister, and my buddy Mike from Life Brand, uh, who's been on the show before, is one of my best friends. And we're watching it, dude, and there's there's like no way that you were watching that shit happen and as it unfolded, you weren't taken for that same ride that Miguel Sapochnik, who's the director, intended to take you on. I, I think that people, based on like how much hype this episode had coming into it, and again, I'm something I mentioned on the on the video uh last time. Hold on, let's make sure. Yeah. Something I mentioned on the video on Monday. Uh, I think that just because we had a year in advance of knowing that this was coming, I think people uh, kind of just like overinflated what it was going to be in their heads. I don't know if they thought that like Jon Snow was going to pop out of the TV and like stab them with fucking long claw. I don't know, but it was fucking awesome. It had its problems and we'll get to that. One more thing about that. So my favorite Instagram account period is at Daenerys Nation. She runs a Game of Thrones fan account and it is stupendous I, we've mentioned her before on the show uh, we extended an invite to see if she could come on the show but she's a little shy so don't worry about it i get it we love you and she put up this post today and i kind of just want to read these last two slides because i think it encompasses my thoughts on it pretty accurately you know again little bits and pieces here that we might disagree on but for the most part so she says let me first say that I know how hard the cast and the crew worked for this episode and season. They spent 55 nights in the cold, surrounded by smoke and being physically exhausted. They did that not just because it's their job, but because they wanted to give us an amazing experience. However, just because you worked hard on something doesn't make it good. And when it comes to television, we all have different tastes and criteria for what we believe makes a good episode. I always try to be respectful, but also truthful. And you might think that this was the best episode ever, and I believe it didn't live up to the hype. So although I'm grateful, I'm also critical because I know how good the show can be. I prefer uh, Season 8, Episode 2 over Season 8, Episode 3. Overall, I give the episode a 6.5 out of 10. This was an episode full of almost getting it right. The cinematography was stunning, but it was too dark in a lot of scenes. The buildup was amazing, but the payoff wasn't worth it. The music was fantastic. The acting was spot on. I would have given it a higher rating if the White Walkers weren't such a big deal. They really needed to get that right. I'm excited for the second half of the season. So I, I'm on board with her on pretty much all of that, especially the fact that these people worked incredibly hard. I mean, 55 nights. The, people who were wondering why it took so long for Game of Thrones to come back on from when season seven finished. Here's your answer. This one episode took almost two full months to make. Then you had to CGI all the crazy shit that you had to CGI in this episode. Thousands upon thousands of people broke their asses to make this episode try to live up to everybody's incredible, unreasonable, maybe, expectations. So I give everybody props for the work that they did. Feel free to disagree with the story choices, and I do. And I don't mean to be belaboring this point, but there's definitely story elements that I would have changed. And we'll talk about it. But just as an achievement of television and the the ambition that it required to make an episode like this, I appreciate it just on a creative level, on a on an artistic level. And story choices aside, I, I think they they hit what they were going for. So that's that. That's that rant. What we're gonna do now is I'm gonna just kind of recap the episode very quickly. Kind of just cover everything that happened. So this is the spoiler alert territory. If you haven't watched it, I don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life. You need to go watch it right now and then come back and listen. All right. Enough of that because my best friend Plex is going to kill me. He fucking hates all the 
banter that half and I have on the show. So I'm sure he's going to hate it more just listening to me yeah, prattle on. By the way, his birthday is... Oh, his birthday Saturday. Happy birthday, Snuggle Bunny. Anyway, so let's get into the recap of, the sh- of Game of Thrones. Season 8, Episode 3. The Long Night, a.k.a. The Great War, a.k.a. John's Obsession... You know how it goes. So we start outside Winterfell. The forces of the living are arranged and waiting for, I don't know, what? Some kind of invitation to start the attack. Um, And a lone rider comes up, and that's Melisandre. She rides up to Ser Jorah, asks her to translate for her to tell all the Dothraki that are assembled on the front lines mistake number one that we'll talk about later to raise their swords they are called aurochs if uh, you don't know those little curvy swords that they carry and she lights she casts a fire spell and last lights them all on fire awesome the dothraki charge along with sir jorah and ghost and then you get this amazing shot of all the little lights of the swords blinking out in the darkness as they are decimated by the whites and the front lines of the night king's army danny and john are kind of overlooking the the action uh and they're bewildered as they see the lights go out melisandre comes into the castle proper and she kind of locks eyes with Arya. sir davos wants to kill her and sir da- and she's like don't worry about it i'll be dead by tomorrow it's all good you don't gotta you don't gotta bother with me danny you know pissed off because she's seeing her entire cavalry destroyed Hops on Drogon, which I guess was counter to their plan, and goes to go roast dudes. John follows, and then John kind of sees the generals, the White Walkers, just kind of lined up chilling, and he wants to go roast them. And then the Night King casts a storm spell, and this crazy fucking blizzard comes, kills all of Danny and John's visibility, probably f- slows down the dragons, cools down the fire, shit like that. The Whites charge after they wipe out the, the, the Dothraki. They charge the left flank, which is where Brienne, Jamie, and Pod are, and the Knights of the Vale are. And then they charge the center, which is where the Unsullied are. Inside the castle, you have Liana Mormont and her troops ready to guard the retreat. On the castle walls, you have Arya. You have archers on the wall. Arya tells Sansa to get back down to the crypts, and she hits him with one of the caught with an awesome callback to an earlier episode which we see a lot of that happen in this one when she tells her Sansa's like I don't know what to do with this dagger and Arya tells her stick, stick him with the pointy end which is kind of how we started this whole thing so that was awesome Sansa makes her way to the crypt so we'll get to that later and the whites charge and they are just tearing shit up John and Danny are trying to, as best they can, to provide air support, but the storm is really hindering them to the point where Danny can't see the signal from Sir Davos to light the trench when the front lines begin to retreat under the White's attack. We'll get to the placement of the trench later. They they start the retreat. The archers are trying to shoot arrows at the trench uh, to light it. That's not working. So Grey Worm grabs a squad of Unsullied. They go, they guard Melisandre. She goes and she casts another fire spell. Takes her a little bit, but she finally gets the trench to light. You see an awesome shot of the fire reflecting in her eyes. I thought maybe she was going to like do some kind of shit where she burns along with it. That would have been pretty fucking dope. But still, you have that sh- that reflection of the fire in her eyes. And bam, the trench lights. Uh, they call the retreat, and these guys do the best they can to pull all the troops back inside the castle. And then the whites stop right at the foot of the trench, like right in front of it. You go back to the, you go take a shot in the God's Wood. Bran and Theon have a little bit of a conversation, and then Bran decides to go into three-eyed raven mode. And he goes into some ravens, and I guess he's looking for the Night King. Again, we'll talk about that later. He finds the Night King. The Night King puts his hand up or some shit, and I guess it's issuing a command for the Whites to start throwing themselves on the trench 
to create a path for the rest of them to charge through where they're not getting burned by the fire, which signals the fucking end of the front lines. And what looked like to me when I watched it, the end of the Unsullied, or most of them anyway, because they were in front of the trench, still trying to hold the retreat. And then the whites just overrun the position. And then they start trying to climb the walls. On the walls, Arya and Davos and these people and Jamie and Brienne are trying to knock them off as they're trying to just, as the whites are just climbing each other to get up the walls. Uh, eventually, they overrun the walls. The Night King comes with Viserion and blows a hole through the walls with Viserion's fire. Then you get this amazing sequence of aerial combat, of dragon on dragon on dragon aerial combat with Viserion, Drogon, and Rhaegal and their respective riders. You know, I thought that was just so well shot. That shot when they go, when John and Danny go take the dragons above the cloud line to look for him and then dive down back into the storm. I, just, just beautiful television. Probably one of the most beautiful, amazing shots the show's produced outside of like when the set of Baylor exploded, which to me is still the most visually stunning thing I've ever seen on television. You know, then you get the the awesome sequence when Viserion's face gets torn off and his neck's punctured and you start seeing the fire spout out of the holes on his face and neck but he still does some damage to Rhaegal Rhaegal crash lands I thought he was done John's on foot uh Danny knocks um the Night King off of Viserion then she finds him and she casts Dracarys and the Night King tanks it he just takes the flame full onto the face like it's all good smirks a little bit which will also talk about later. Tries to chuck another spear at Drogon. Danny evades it. Flies off. Jon starts to charge the Night King. Night King pulls another hard home. Resurrects all the people who'd fallen already in defense of the living. Brings them back up. Uh, including Dolores Ed, who was the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch after Jon was killed and resuscitated. And he was killed saving Sam's useless self. Or is he useless? I, if I have time, I'll cover some thoughts on that later. Yeah, so John's surrounded by, by whites inside the castle. All the fallen get resurrected, including another thing bears mentioning, my little bear. I would love to adopt her. I look at her as one of my own. Little Liana Mormont. She died fighting a giant. She killed that motherfucker. Dragon glass dagger to the eye. It was beautifully shot, beautifully done. Bella Ramsey is a star of an actress she's just amazing uh really cool really cool sequence and she went out like a g like we all knew she was gonna at some point or another even though it would have been awesome if she ended up on the iron throne but anyway so all of these people resurrect around john and inside the defenders in the castle john's trying to charge the night king night king walks off lets john deal with the whites and he's surrounded like he under all normal circumstances should have been dead right there but he's John. He's an amazing fighter. And he survived long enough for Danny to swoop in with Drogon, flame the, the whites that were around him. She lands and he runs into the godswood to go try to protect Bran from the Night King. And Danny kind of lingers watching him. Don't know why. Again, we can talk about that later. And Drogon gets overwhelmed by, by whites. So she climbs off or she falls off and he takes off into the sky to try and shake the whites off him. And that's the last that we see of him for almost the rest of the episode. Now she's surrounded by whites and here comes Ser Jorah. He protects her. She picks up a dagger or a dragon glass sword and she's fighting. While all this is going on, Arya had her own little awesome horror movie moment where she was murdering dudes on the on the ramparts of the of the castle. Then she gets you know she rolls out she like rolls down the stairs on the backs of a bunch of whites that were charging a stairwell she gets pushed into a wall she bangs her head probably gets a concussion at that point props to her for ignoring concussion protocol then she gets to the library where she's got to play metal gear solid and hide around you know sneak around some whites that are in there there's no cardboard box for her to hide inside she just ninjas her way through there and almost Makes it totally unscathed, except for the blood droplets that were dripping on off her face onto the floor. But she made it out, only to have the whites rush the wall behind her. Beric Dondarrion and the Hound show up to save her. The Hound had been being a little bitch about the fire once he saw the trench light up. But once he saw Arya, you know, fighting for her life and running for her life, he he stepped up 
and uh, went in to, to help her out. Beric Dondarrion ends up taking the L for her. He dies, wastes his final life, serves his purpose, as Melisandre says when she walks into the room where they're in. Melisandre gives Arya a pep talk. We get another awesome callback to the last time they met when she says... I see a darkness in you. And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes. Blue eyes. Green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. says to Arya, what do we say to the god of death? Like Cyril Pharrell told her back in season one, Arya responds with not today, runs off. Uh, in the crypts, you had an awesome exchange with um, Tyrion and Sansa where Tyrion's like, man, I could be out there and I could be making a difference, strategy, this and that and the other. I could see some shit that maybe they're missing. Sansa checks him and tells him, you weren't going to do shit outside. We got to just stay in here and not get in, each other, not get in their way, which is maybe what Sam should have done, but that's besides the point. They kind of have this moment between them where maybe they're considering rekindling their original marriage because, you know, he was cool to her. He never mistreated her. You know, she grew to respect him. She makes a point about how his divided loyalties would be a problem because he's so loyal to Daenerys. And Missandei comes in with, uh, well, if it wasn't for Daenerys, we'd all be dead. So go fuck yourself. Later on in the crypts, some whites, some dead Starks resurrect as whites. Here is where my first major disappointment came. And I don't want to get into it too much right now, but the whites come out. They kill a couple of people down there. Tyrion and Sansa were hiding behind like a, a, a tomb. And she takes the dagger out. And I thought maybe she was going to like kill herself by the way she was holding it. She was holding it by the handle, kind of pointing towards her. And I thought her and Tyrion maybe were just going to set their whole hands. and, But they didn't. They tried to go out and charge. And then at that moment, it cuts to the Godswood, where Theon, who's been protecting Bran all this time, is out of arrows, out of allies, including Alice Karstark, who everybody continues to ignore, most likely died. Because we saw her enter the Godswood with Theon in that spot, and then we don't see her again. So she was most likely one of the defenders in the Godswood. Theon's the last one left. He gets another little pep talk from Bran, charges at the Night King stupidly, dies. But at least he died, you know, heroically, not being a little bitch. So I guess that's the conclusion of Dion's redemption arc. And then the Night King does the little slow walk towards Bran. I mean, he's won. He's got his generals. There's a bunch of whites in the godswood. He's got it. Meanwhile, John's trying to make his way there. John's fucking fighting, Viser you know, trying to dodge Viserion's blue flame. Gets in Viserion's face, screams at him. There's a theory going around on the internet now that John saw Arya and did that as a distraction so that Arya can make her way to the godswood. I don't know if that's the case. I, have, I haven't rewatched it since I heard that theory so that I can really analyze that. I'll put a video up about it and I'll let you know what I think. Anyway, Arya jumps out of nowhere as Bran is uh, standing in front of the Night King and the Night King's reaching for his sword. Night King turns around, catches her, one hand on her knife hand, one hand around her neck. And at that point, I damn near died. I thought my girl was done. If you've listened to the show, you know Arya is my absolute favorite character, bar none. And I thought she was done. I thought this was how they were going to rip our guts out. Then she pulls the same trick from the training yard with Brienne, drops a dagger, stabs him in the, right in the spot, in the opening in the breastplate where I guess the children of the forest entered the original dragon glass that made him. Everybody dies. Night King dies. The generals die. All the whites die. Classic cut off the head and the body follows type shit. And boom. That's pretty much the end of the episode. Sir Jorah collapses, having been defending Danny from all the whites. As soon as he sees that, you know, she's clear, he succumbs to his injuries and the relief of keeping her alive. He served his, his duty to her. He fulfilled his life's ambition, even though maybe, you know, marrying her would have been a close second. But he was a knight after all. And he'd been charged to protect his queen. And he did. And she is cradling his body. We get a final appearance from Drogon, who kind of comes around to cradle Danny and comfort her. 
And that's where the episode ends. So that's your recap, you know, of the major events that happened. I'm sure there's little things I missed, but I'm not trying to go over every detail of the episode for that. That's why you watch. So let's talk a little bit about the beefs I had with the episode. And we'll start with the plan itself. Now, I'm going to talk about it in terms of the characters and shit like that. Obviously, this is a fictional television show scripted, written by, you know, screenwriters, planned out by the showrunners. So ultimately, the blame goes on them. But we'll just talk about it like this is real shit. In the planning session, you had Jon Snow, who has commanded over the Battle of the Bastards, the defense of Castle Black against the Wildlings and the Battle at Hardhome. You have Jamie Lannister, who was the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, the general of all the Lannister forces when they broke the siege at River Run. You had Tyrion Lannister, who fought the Battle of the Blackwater, uh, who generaled the Battle of the Blackwater. You have Daenerys Targaryen, who, you know, in what my favorite scene ever on, on this show, masterminded the awesome plan to take the Unsullied from Master Krasnus and Astapor. Conducted the Battle of Marine, the Battle of Slaver's Bay. Varys, who maybe not a, a, a battle commander, but certainly someone with a gift for strategy. Ser Jorah, who was the Lord of Bear Island, served in the Golden Company, which is the mercenary group that Cersei's paid for right now. The moral of the story is you have a lot of very, 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 very savvy, battle-hardened people who should know better than to make the ridiculous mistakes that they made. Number one, and I got to give credit to my boy D uh, out in Vegas for bringing this up when we had our, our weekly conversation. Let's start with Melisandre showing up and lighting the the Aurochs for the, for the Dothraki on fire. When they lift up those weapons, they lift up their regular swords, not dragon glass ones, regular swords. Now, no one was expecting Melisandre to show up. And I didn't see, again, we could take another look, but I didn't see that the Dothraki were packing any other types of weapons. They lift the sword. She lights them on fire. If she's not there to light them on fire, were they going to charge with just their regular swords? Because we've established that that shit doesn't kill whites. So if we've established that, why would they charge that way? What were they hoping to accomplish? That is stupefying. Okay, number one. Number two, you don't send your cavalry into an open charge in a darkened field with no visibility to rush an enemy. That's not how you use cavalry. All right. Bran should have been doing the raven scouting thing from the beginning. Give them, giving them a lay of the land. What was to be expected? Hey, there's a giant right in the center of of where you plan on charging. The Night King's chilling in the cut somewhere. Like, where was the advanced scouting? What they should have done with the cavalry is had the cavalry's out to the flanks, maybe on either side or maybe on one side, whichever way you want to play it. Gold, start firing the siege weapons, right? Because Bran would have told them, hey, this is their range. So once you have their range, you start chucking those flaming catapult bombs at the at the whites. Induce them to charge, right? To meet, not your infantry, the trench. You have them meet the trench. You light the trench. You have the whites have to fight through the trench to get to your infantry, which is the Unsullied. As they're fighting through the trench... You have the dragons come in and smoke them all out, start lighting them on fire. Once the Night King comes into play and the dragons leave, then you charge the cavalry from either flank and you tear, tear through them because they got now the whites have to fight on three fronts. They got to fight either side. They got to fight through the trench in front of them and they have to fight the Unsullied behind the trench. How anybody decided that it would be a good idea to dig the trench behind the infantry leaving one narrow path for the retreat is fucking absurd like 
you got a bone like you're a showrunner on the show you gotta bone up on some military strategy like somebody somewhere a consultant something had to look at this shit and be like what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it i award you no points and may god have mercy on your soul so you know i get again some of the criticism that we've levied on it here's the counterpoint if the result was going to be what we got which is the night king dying and the living beating the dead you could not have daenerys's forces intact or even half intact before marching on king's landing because then you have zero drama she had 40,000 Dothraki and 8,000 Unsullied, not to mention if the Knights of the Vale back her up and the forces of the North back her up and two dragons. Cersei would have been done in seconds. That shit would have been a squash match of like epic proportions. Like having Andre the Giant fight random jobber guy in a wrestling match in 1986. Or Ultimate Warrior Hogan, whatever. Just done. So there needed to be a storytelling element to even the score to give some drama to the last three episodes. Here's what I would have done. I would have had the same setup I told y'all. The Dothraki either on one, maybe let's say one flank so that you don't have them too divided. You have them on one flank, you have the trench, you have the infantry behind it. But the catch is that when Bran goes to send his ravens to scout, the Night King, whatever, like how he did that one time where he dispelled the fucking ravens when Bran was watching him. And then he goes and he roasts a Dothraki. Like he flies over, he flies Viserion over and roasts a Dothraki before they get to charge. You accomplish the same thing and you don't look quite as stupid in the way that you're doing it. So that's just my my whole take on, on the setup. Why the Dothraki didn't have dragon glass weapons is beyond me. I, I don't know what the hell they were. That was a great catch by D. And then just the whole setup of the defenses. The other thing is, you have these siege weapons. You have them outside of the castle walls. You fire them twice, maybe? And then they're useless. When the fucking whites were just standing there outside the trench, you could have been chucking bombs at them. And you could have been chucking flaming arrows at them. Instead, they were just watching. The, pe the people on the wall were just watching the whites just stand there at the at the trench. That would have been a perfect opportunity to rain holy hell down on them. I know Danny and the dragons were doing that kind of towards the back. Danny and John were doing that kind of towards the back. But right on the line where you see the white standing there, you get a shot of Arya and Davos just looking at him and you're just like, bueno, this is cool. So, you know, not good. Militarily speaking, just not good at all. Next, the inconsistency with the storytelling. So a lot of people had a beef about a couple of things. They feel that not enough major character major characters died where this show has been built on the premise that anybody could die at any time. And the fact and the, the other half of that inconsistent storytelling is just the the way they've handled the magical elements the way they've handled Bran's story and explanation of his abilities and who he is and who the Night King is and what his motivations are. A lot of people have felt that that's, that's lacking. They wanted a little bit more closure on that before we got the Night King's inevitable de uh, demise. So let's tackle that one at a time. All right. So let's start with the major characters and who died and who didn't. Like I mentioned before, you had Ed from the Night's Watch bagged it. Beric Dondarrion, adios. Lyanna Mormont, rest in power. Ser Jorah, died beautifully. Theon Greyjoy, and the Night King. Think that's everybody. Major character-wise. Major or supporting. Guys, there's three more episodes. If they wiped out everybody, but John, Danny, Sansa Arya... Right? If they wiped out everybody who we thought was going to die when they got their little goodbye at the end of last episode, Jamie, Brienne, Davos, Tyrion, all these people, what do you have left over the next three episodes? There's nothing to care about. 
D and I were talking about it, and I'm going to hit this. I, I was going to save this for the prediction part later, but I'm going to hit you with it right now. It's going to be far more interesting to watch Brienne die either on a missed crossbow bolt shot from Braun, which then spurs Jamie to kill Cersei, or Brienne dies fighting the mountain after Cersei orders the mountain to kill Jamie. Brienne tries to take that fight. She dies. The hound jumps in because he's got a lot of respect for Brienne because Brienne fucking beat his ass. And then that's when you get your Clegane Bowl. And that's a much more beautiful, worthwhile, valuable death storytelling wise for Brienne than dying from a fucking bunch of stupid zombies. Like, really? Same thing for Jamie. Jamie can't die till some part of the Valonqar prophecy gets, you know, completed or not. But at least some kind of, there has to be one more confrontation between him and Cersei. He can't just die out here. You know what I mean? He's been too important a character to the show to die to a bunch of zombies. Davos, sure. He could have done he could have died, but whatever. If he would have or would have not, we were we really are we really that upset because Davos didn't die right now? Uh I'll tell you who could have died, who should have died that didn't was Varys. Varys has been worthless since he teleported back and forth from Essos to Westeros to recruit Dorne to Danny's cause. Absolutely worthless. Him dying in the crypts would have been meaningful. He's not going to be in battle later. So that's a death that could have happened. As much as I would have been sad about it, Gilly could have died down in the crypt, died down in the crypts. That would have been, you know, that would have hurt and that would have been emotional and people would have, you know, maybe as ridiculous as it is to say, felt better about the episode. But, you know, everybody else who has a, a role to play in the in in the game of Thrones, which is what this is, you know, yeah, it's an adaptation and, you know, it is the adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire, but the show is called Game of Thrones. And at the end of the day, this is what it's about. It's always been about the Iron Throne. The Night King thing was an element to the story that they had to include because George made it a big deal on in the books. So they couldn't just ignore it. But they've never been fully comfortable with the magical elements of the show. Uh, the folks at Binge Mode, who is you know my favorite Game of Thrones podcast and one of the inspirations for me to try to do this, uh, for half an hour to try to do this one, they've talked about that at length. They've written about it. Uh, Mallory Rubin wrote a beautiful article about it. Uh, I think so is Jason Concepcion. And they mentioned that the show has just never been as comfortable with the magical elements uh, as the books are. And, you know, D and I have talked about it where, you know, and I told him the show, neither David Benioff nor Dan Weiss are fantasy fiction writers. So, of course, they're not going to be as comfortable with the magical elements as GRRM. Once we got past the books and the, and the guideline, the guideposts that the books provide, they were going to have a hard time. And we've just got to kind of know that and appreciate it. Kind of the same way we have to not appreciate, understand it. Kind of the same way we have to know and understand that there's only six episodes left this season. You know, War texted me earlier today or, or late last night, I don't remember, time blends, and said that episodes one, two, and three should have been a season onto itself. And I totally agree. A hundred percent agree, but we weren't going to get it for whatever the reasons are. Budget concerns, time constraints, contract dis disputes, money, you know, the actors getting bored, the, the showrunners getting bored. I don't know what fucking reason they had to make this a six episode season, but they did. And we just got to kind of live with it. So we have to watch what we're watching and analyze what we're watching and not what could have been. So, yeah, so they just they couldn't kill everybody off. This episode, they just really, really couldn't. And I think that as the season progresses, we'll appreciate that more. The whole thing with the magical elements, I mean, I already touched on that. Um, I didn't like Bran just fucking being in Undertaker mode with his eyes rolled into the back of his head for 40 minutes. There has to be some kind of payoff, 
some explanation as to why and what the hell he was doing. Um, I hope we get it. If we don't get it by the end of the season, then yeah, I think people would have a legitimate gripe. We still have three episodes left. Brand's not dead. So there's still a very large possibility that we're going to get some sort of explanation going forward. I hope we do. And then the whole thing with the Night King and the White Walkers and what his motivation were, motivations were and, uh, you know, getting so close and the slow, confident walk, you know, to as Jason Concepcion also said, to the one yard line and fumbling like fucking Deshaun Jackson on that kickoff return when he fumbled the ball to the one yard line. That's what he did. He thought he had it in the bag, you know, and earlier in the episode, we see that smirk when Danny tried to roast him with the dragon fire. And there's side note, all this crap about him being a Targaryen is crap. He's the fucking ice God or whatever. Makes sense that he'd be able, he'd be immune to fire. I mean, the dude just summoned the blizzard. So I wasn't that worried about it. However, I did I do agree with with Donald when we were talking about um the smirk. This dude has been super stoic, stone-faced, no talking, no personality the entire time he's been on screen, which hasn't been often. But every time he's been on screen, he's had the same facial expression. Even when he hard-homed and he raised the dead the first time, he kind of just like dead ass, you know, dead-eyed John kind of like the same face that Damian Lillard had the other day after he hit that crazy shot. And then all of a sudden you get the smirk, which demonstrates that he does have some kind of personality in there. So, yeah, would I have appreciated maybe one sentence from him to Bran right before Arya murks him? Yeah, I think so. You know, finally I've got you or your time at something, some kind of fucking something that maybe would have given us a tiny bit of an inclination as to what his actual mission was. Now, I've discussed this at length with Half and with D and separately, and here's my conclusion on the Night King. The Night King was formed by the children of the forest to combat the first men who were the first men to arrive to Westeros from Essos. They took their programming a little too far, kind of like Terminators, and, you know, the machines and Terminator and decided that all humanity needed to die. And that's his mission. And my guess is that the Night King didn't feel like he could accomplish that mission as long as there was a three-eyed raven. Because if there's a three-eyed raven to be able to dispense information, which you can say Bran has or has not been doing enough of, whatever, to dispense information and keep the timelines intact and keep the history of man intact and be able to relay important events you know to the people who need to know and move the chess pieces in place as long as that position exists he can't win so his mission was to wipe that position off the face of the earth regardless of who held it whether it was the uh original not the original but the original three-eyed raven on this show which is blood raven brendan rivers or brandon stark he needed to take that chess piece off the board right think about it like Two kings on a chessboard. One of them needed to murk the other. And that's why, you know, he was going after Bran. So, the, again, I would have liked it just because he showed a little bit of personality. But based on what I just told you, that's enough. That's the explanation for the Night King. You, That's what the show is trying to tell you. We don't need to go much further than that. Um, You know. Lastly, on my gripes were the Crips. The Crips in Winterfell got mentioned like 11 times that they were going to be the safest place, the safest place, the safest place, the safest place. And what do you get? You get a couple of whites that pop up, some dead Starks, no named ass, irrelevant Starks. Like, I understand you can't get Ned. Ned had no head. We talked about this last week. I understand you can't get Rob. Don't even know if Rob's body's there. Also had no head. Even though it would have been fucking dope for zombie Rob with Grey Wind's rotting head coming to life. Catelyn, we don't know if she was there. That's where my bet was. I thought we were going to get a Lady Stoneheart payoff. 
I think they should have done that. But at the very least, can we get a Rick on? We know he's there and we know his body's relatively fresh and intact. Rick on got a, has to have come out of one of those crypts. Scared the shit out of Sansa. Dropped right in front of her as the Night King fell. That is a huge, huge, huge miss on the the show's part. You didn't even need to bring the actor back. Because you're CGIing. You could have CGI'd him as a fucking white anyway. So the whole thing about having to bring the actor back and giving it away wouldn't have been the case. How they did not. I, I don't know if they didn't think of it. I don't know if they decided against it. I don't know, again, if it was a budget decision. But that's a that's a huge ball drop right there. You gotta you gotta bring Rick on back. You gotta give me something in the crypts other than three or four whites and a bunch of no name commoners dying. Take um, take Varys out. Take Gilly out. Not little Sam, but take Varys and Gilly out, and maybe Missy, maybe Missandei bites it. So since Great Worm survived and and Missandei dies. But you know, you you can't you can't do that. You can't build up the crypts, safest place, but not really for all this time to just have some no names die. Uh, and that's it, man. Those are, are my major beefs with the episode. So before we get into next week's predictions, I have some questions. So the first one I've seen kicked around as far as just other criticisms. Is has Danny been reckless with her dragons? Uh, she gave one up to John because dragon and rider bind for life. So I think that's still gonna have uh, uh, a part to play in in what's left. But just like she lands with Drogon to save John and just kind of lingers there watching him, lets him lets Drogon get you know overwhelmed by whites. Rhaegal got hurt. These are the most precious things in the world. Like, you have dragons, you win. Aegon the Conqueror took Westeros with three dragons and 1,600 troops. That's it. You know, he started collecting troops as people would bend the knee to the dragons. But even him, so during the initial conquest of Westeros, the all three dragons were only ever in the same place twice. At a battle called the Field of Fire... Where the armies from Casterly Rock and the armies from the Reach assembled like their full, full, full armies to face the Targaryens. And Aegon and his sisters roasted all of them. To completely destroyed the, the armies from the Reach to where that entire bloodline was wiped off the face of the earth and decimated the Lannister army. And the only other time all three dragons were assembled in the same place was when they went north after this battle and the armies of the north were assembled and King Torn Stark looked across the field and saw all three dragons. He'd gotten reports of what happened at the Field of Fire and he bent the knee and forever became known as the King Who Knelt so that he could save all the lives of all his people. And that's it. Aegon Targaryen was very careful about not having all three dragons in the same place at the same time. In most of the other, in every other conflict, Danny already took th three dragons to Bad Plan north of the Wall, lost one, and almost lost both of them here. So yeah, she, she's been a little reckless with the dragons. But in her defense, these are the first dragons to be around for over a hundred years. She's got no man. I mean, she's got the history that she should know, but she's got no manual for this. There's no instruction manual on how to train a dragon. Um, and how to use dragons in combat. So she's learning as she goes. So you got to give her props. We'll see how how she deals with it. I, I wonder if there... Well, okay. We'll save that for the predictions. All right. So finally, predictions for next week or expectations for next week. The trailer didn't show much. Uh, the trailer did show Danny kind of celebrating with the remaining Northerners. And they say, there seemed to be a nice little moment there where everybody was kind of cheering. She's talking about that we won the Great War. Now we got to go beat Cersei. Cersei looks pretty pleased. Cersei and Euron look pretty pleased with themselves. You see a shot of a bunch of people rushing into King's Landing. I don't know if that's the army she's watching or maybe refugees from the north. I don't know. 
You see this the shot of Daenerys' fleet. I don't know where she's got all the people to man all those boats. Most of her people are fucking dead. So she doesn't need all those boats. Um, you see the two dragons. You see one of them pretty injured. Like the wings are all torn up. I expect that to be Drogon because he's the one who had the whites all over him. If that's Rhaegal, it's going to be weird. And then you see this little glimpse of Ghost who we didn't see at all in the after he charged with the Dothraki. I'm glad he's alive. Even though in that shot, it kind of looks like a sheep because the legs are really skinny and the top's really furry. So that, maybe that's just bad CGI. You know, but we see Ghost there. I thought he should, side note, he should have been in the Godswood with Bran. And Bran should have worked him. But whatever, the story is what the story was. You know, we see Sansa with a concerned look. We see Jon with a concerned look. What else is new? And that's it. And that's pretty much all we get in the trailer. What do I expect? I expect, you know, um, some kind of planning session. I expect to see a time jump, maybe, so that the dragons can heal. Because it would be really reckless. If we're talking about being reckless, it would be really reckless for her to take those two wounded dragons into a fresh battle. Especially if she remembers what that big crossbow did to Drogon or almost did to Drogon. So there, there needs to be some kind of waiting period while they remarshal their forces, resupply, turn all the dragon glass weapons back into steel weapons because now it's not undead you're fighting. You need shit that's going to go through armor and plate and whatever. So there has to be some, some type of lapse of time. Uh, I expect that if not yet, but maybe with the beginnings of that conversation Tyrion had with Bren start to pay off. Obviously, I expect there to be a, a pretty decisive conversation between John and Danny regarding John's parentage slash claim to the throne. I, I, they can't just leave that hanging there for another two episodes. Um, and here's something that I don't think we're going to see, but I think we should. Typically, after a battle like this, you're going to get some dispensation of rewards. Right. People who fought bravely get lordships. They get promises that, you know, thank you so much for your fucking awesome awesomeness. You're going to get a castle like Oprah type shit. You get a castle. You get a castle. Everybody gets a fucking castle. Right. So like Gendry, I think it would be awesome if Daenerys as queen or John as whatever legitimizes Gendry, makes him a Baratheon instead of a bastard. Now. You could say that's dangerous because Gendry would then have a claim to the throne also as the child of Robert Baratheon. Don't think he wants it. Don't think he cares. I think you reward him with that legitimacy so that you unite the houses of Stark and Baratheon finally when him and Arya get married. I think maybe they marry. And maybe they marry this episode. So I think we should see that. Brienne maybe gets a castle. Because she's Brienne of Tarth. We've never seen anybody else from Tarth on this entire show. She has a dad. She's family. They should have had troops. Don't know where the fuck they've been. Also, shout out to the Reeds. I guess Mira was so mad at Bran that she told her pops don't even fucking bother coming north to help them fight the undead. Don't know where they've been. I would expect there to be, you know, some some rewards for the people who fought so loyally and bravely and and helped them win this war. Uh, I don't I don't think there's any way to for her, for Danny herself to inspire the kind of loyalty she's going to need, especially to replenish her number without first doing that. I think they should go pay a visit to the Glovers for him being a little bitch again. And not showing up for the fight again. You know, she talks about rooting Cersei out, root and stem. I think you go wipe out the Glovers and you give that to, like, the Hound. Make that his fucking house. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck that dude. And his little, I'll stand behind House Stark. Fuck that dude. They needed you. You pussied out twice. You die. I expect to have, to hear... That Cer if there's a time lapse, I expect to hear that Cersei's been busy. So while all this fighting in the North is going on, and she said this uh, to Jamie when she told him she wasn't sending her army North. She told him, I'm going to fortify my position here in the South. Well, there's a lot of fortifying to do. 
River Run is vacant. Arya wiped everybody out. The Riverlands are a very important area for the Seven Kingdoms, right? It's where most of the fighting takes place whenever there's a war between North and South because it's right in the middle and it's very fertile ground. So you gotta she if I'm her, I I'm sending my forces to claim River Run, claim the twins, because now you control the passage north and south, right? Um across the river. Fortify the reach at High Garden. F- take back Casterly Rock, right? After it got taken by by Danny's forces. Maybe, I mean, this might be spreading yourself a little too thin, but maybe go see what the fuck is up with Dorn. They were their troops were supposed to get picked up before Euron destroyed the the Yara's fleet. So I don't know if that's still in play, but maybe go take a look, see what's going on. Um, Storm's End is unoccupied, right? That's the where the Baratheons were from. There's no Baratheons. So who's got Storm's End and the and the Storm Lords, right? The Eerie. The only per- person defending the Eerie right now is Robin from the Vale. Little stupid, you know, breastfeeding Robin. Fuck is he doing? You know, like she could be expanding her sphere of influence um, over the entire rest of the continent. House Tarly's undefended. There's no Dick on. There's no Randall Tarly. It's just the mom, some sisters. And, you know, they're soldiers. They'd already pledged to House Lannister, but they died. So go stick some of the Golden Company folks in there. Like, make it so that the Danny's troops have to march all the way through all these defended territories to get to you. Don't just let her just march the fucking army down the continent to... To arrive at King's Landing, you know, ready to fuck you up. You gotta, you gotta make it hard. It's like risk. You gotta reposition your troops uh, after every turn. Another question I expect to see answered is Winter. Does Winter come with the Night King? So does that cancel Winter? Is it gonna be summer again now? Does it? Does Winter bring the Night King, or does the Night King bring Winter? So I expect that we're going to get a, a conclusive answer to that question because I think it's important. I think that knowing whether the season is what got him and his people to stir versus him bringing the winter is a important thing to know uh, as far as the you know the history of the world and how it affects the show. Uh, how far does winter reach? Is it already you know this? It's cold as fuck up north and it's starting to creep down. But does this slow the progress of winter going to King's Landing? Remember at the end of last season when Jamie leaves, he starts to see some snowfall. But when we saw this season, when we saw the Iron Fleet arriving back, it didn't look all that frosty down there. So I think that's a question that needs to get answered. And I expect that we'll see some kind of a quick minute or two about that. And that's pretty much it, man. I'm I'm excited uh, to see what happens. It's it's going to be another hour and 18 minute episode. 78 minutes if I'm not mistaken. So there's a lot of room to breathe on this one. Jorah fell. What happens to Heartsbane? Does it go back to Sam? Does Sam give it to someone else? I want to see what's up with that. Because it's still useless for Sam. So maybe you give it to the Hound as a reward for his bravery. Maybe Arya decides to tell Sam to give it to the Hound. Or to tell John to give it to the Hound. He's going to need... I'm sorry, but he's going to need a Valyrian steel sword to fight the mountain. His dragon glass axe and a regular sword is not going to work. You know, zombie mountain... I think the only way he's going to be able to kill him is to chop off his head. And he's going to need a Valyrian steel sword to do that. And he's a big dude. A great sword would fit him really nicely. So, minor prediction here. The Hound gets Heartsbane. And that's it, guys. I think I covered everything I wanted to cover. So... Thank you all for sticking with me. I hope I didn't bore the fuck out of you. I hope that you guys took some something from this episode. Let me know in, you know, obviously I'll post like I always do a little thing announcing the fucking episodes going up. Let me know in the comments what you thought. DM me. You can email me at backofthebusmiami at gmail.com. I really would appreciate some feedback on this one just because this is my first solo venture 
And, you know, I want to know, did my voice fucking bore the shit out of you? You know, do you miss half? Let me know, please. Remember to tell your friends. Remember, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Podbean, and YouTube. You can hit me up on email, like I said. You can hit me up on Instagram, at Back of the Bus Podcast. There's a Twitter that half manages. Don't know what's going on with that because I don't have Twitter, so you'd have to ask him. <laughs> Subscribe, rate the show, review the show. Uh, the more reviews and shit like that you do, the more visibility we get. So five stars if you love us, five stars if you hate us. I don't know if you guys saw the awesome post that half put up today where um, he responded to that bot wanting to get us to give him money for like nudes and shit like that. But that should crack me up at work. And I needed it. Needed to laugh at that moment. So it was pretty funny. But same thing. Five stars. Either way. Help a brother out. Check out at Daenerys Nation on Instagram and at Universe of Thrones for what I think are the best two Game of Thrones fan accounts going right now. Once again, check out Fiber underscore Miami for any athletic wear needs for the ladies. And uh, that's it, man. Tune in next week. We'll be back to cover season eight, episode four. You know, one of the things I most look forward to is once the episode's over is finding out what the name of the episode was. I kind of knew the long night. This one was going to be the long night. It was either going to be that or the Battle of Winterfell. I'm curious to see what next one's going to be. That's always like a highlight of the night for me. Hopefully half will be back. Anyway, love you guys. Thanks for listening. Check you out next week. Peace.